shark, swallow you whole. I value my neck a lot more than 3,000 bucks, Chief. Find him for three, but I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You yell shark. We've got a power on our hands on the 4th of July. Mr. Vaughn, Mr. Vaughn. I pulled a tooth the size of a shot glass out of the rectal of the boat out there, and it was the tooth of a great white. A what? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. Now, I'm not saying that this is not the shark. It probably is, Martin. It probably is. It's a man-eater. It's extremely rare for these waters. But the fact is that the bite radius on this animal is different than the wounds on the victim. Episode 46 of the Jaws Obsession. Welcome back, everybody, where we are here to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. If you could have guessed it from that opening, this is going to be episode 46, The Way to Go Home, as in Show Me the Way to Go Home. We've had numerous requests by email from listeners that wanted to know more about this song and how it came to be in the movie. So what is the significance of this song, and how did it come to be placed in the movie Jaws? There's two ways we can analyze this, and we're going to do both of those. One is the origins and the history of the song in real life. How was it brought to the set of Jaws? And then the second part would be, what can we derive from its use in the Jaws universe when Hooper chooses to use it 
to break the ice after Quint shares his history with them regarding the USS Indianapolis. What significance does that bring into the Jaws universe? And can we tell more about the backgrounds of these characters in this sequence where they sing this song? I believe we can, and we're going to try to tackle this. This is going to be as in-depth as, as we can make it here at the Jaws Obsession, and we will attempt to do all of this on the front half of this episode 46. Then on the back half of this episode 46, we have a super combination. What we're gonna have is a Jaws Superfan Spotlight combined with a second Jaws Obsession giveaway contest all in one great interview that's going to be on the second half of this episode. So buckle up and uh, grab some coffee or some um, apricot brandy, whatever your drink of choice is, because this one is going to be an involved episode, and we're going to have a lot of fun here. So let's get on with it. I'd like to share with you a significant piece of news, because uh, all the listeners and all of you out there in the Jaws Obsession are responsible for it. I just learned uh, only a few days ago that according to the site listennotes.com, um, which is an aggregate site of all the podcasts throughout the world. What that site does is that it tracks all podcasts from around the world and it keeps uh, statistics and, um, and it uses various metrics to hand out listen scores. And from that, it gives global rankings. And what I just learned was this broadcast, the Jaws Obsession broadcast that you are listening on, that you are listening to right now, is one of the top 5% most popular shows out of 2,977,291 podcasts globally. This is ranked by Listen Score, the estimated popularity score of this broadcast. It's in the top 5 percentile now of that 2.977 million podcasts. That is a great accomplishment that the Jaws Obsession has reached, and it's all due to you, the listener, who has returned, has listened to the shows, multiple listens to the shows. What we've done is we've done this in, in less... This is, how, this is how the Jaws community has responded. Uh, so in less than a year, with less than 50 episodes, and an average length of 35 minutes an episode, we're not monetized here, so there's no advertising push of any kind. This is just pure love of the greatest movie ever made. And that's what's fueling this ship here called the Jaws Obsession. Your great reviews and your comments the on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, the five-star reviews really help because that pushes the algorithm for those platforms to bump us in the searches when someone searches uh, film history that the Jaws Obsession will pop up in there on higher up on the list. So therefore, there's always new, new listeners coming to the show, and they're listening to the back catalog of the show. And those great reviews that you've been leaving have really helped. And now we are in the top 5% of podcasts worldwide. That's great. That's great news. And it's exciting to share. And I want to thank you for all the support, because without listeners, this really isn't much of uh, this really isn't much of an operation. So thank you for doing your part. And if you haven't yet, those five star reviews on those platforms, Apple, Spotify and Amazon or whatever podcast platform or broadcast platform you're listening to at this time, those good reviews really help. We're now averaging four point five out of five stars over on Apple Podcasts. We are uh, batting a thousand with the five star, all five star reviews over on Spotify. Very exciting to see, and I thank you for it. So now, without further ado, let's get into the Show Me the Way to Go Home. The first part is, let's give a history of the song. The Show Me the Way to Go Home is a popular song that was written in 1925 by the English songwriting team, 
Jimmy Campbell, and Reg Connolly. And they used the pseudonym Irving King to publish the song. The song is said to have been written on a train journey from London by Campbell and Connolly. They were tired from the traveling and had a few alcoholic drinks during the journey, hence the lyrics. The song is in common use in England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and North America. The publication and lyrics were written in 1925, so this song is almost 100 years old. Uh, How about that? In 1925, that this song is going to be 100 and Jaws will be 50, 5-0. So uh, we're looking at 1925, 2025 is going to be a big year. Um, All these numbers are kind of matching up. Very interesting right there. They self-published the sheet music and it became their first big success, selling 2 million copies and providing the financial basis of their publishing firm, Campbell Connolly and Company. Then the song was recorded by several artists in the 1920s. The first recording in 1925 was by Hal Swain's New Prince's Toronto Band, a group of Canadian musicians working in London. Throughout the 20th and into the 21st century, it has been recorded by numerous artists. So what we're looking at is that this became a very popular uh, song over in, uh, especially over in England, a well-known British pub song ever since uh, 1925. So ever since these 2 million copies went out, it pretty much has been sung all over the world. The song, Show Me the Way to Go Home, is not in the book Jaws. It is not in the screenplays. 1925 to 1975. So for the first 50 years of this song's existence, it was recorded, and I kept a tally here. I have it as there was 51 recordings by various artists and performers, either with lyrics or just the instrumental. But 51 different recordings over the 50 years of its existence between 1925 to 1975. So that makes it a very popular song. How can we drill down on exactly how is this song brought to the set of Jaws? We'll cite none other than the son of Robert Shaw, Ian Shaw, on his Twitter account back on March 1st. Someone mentioned Robert Shaw singing Farewell and Adieu to you Fair Spanish Ladies in the old, uh, when he starred as Captain Dan Tempest in The Buccaneers, an old television series, Robert Shaw was singing this 18 years before he starred in Jaws. Well, Ian Shaw came back in with this little, uh, uh, one, uh, two little sentences of, of information here. What Ian wrote was, yes, he brought that song to the film and indeed show me the way to go home. So, According to Ian Shaw, that uh, Robert Shaw brought not only brought Farewell and a Duty of Fair Spanish Ladies to the set of Jaws, he also brought Show Me the Way to Go Home to this sequence. Very interesting, because that goes back to our last episode about Jaws timing. Had Quint been played by anybody else, we would have not had these beautiful little moments of Quint inside Jaws. So this is strictly Robert Shaw bringing his unique take on Quint and the songs that are in this movie to the set of Jaws. Very interesting. So that goes back to our last episode. The Jaws timing is this movie was made at the right place at the right time to come out the way it did. And it was a nice little touch what Ian Shaw did. uh, And I believe he remembers his father through this song as well, that after his play, The Shark is Broken, after the play wraps, and the lights come on and the crowd's filtering out what's playing are multiple recordings of Show Me the Way to Go Home as as everyone's finding their way to the exits. And I thought that was a nice little touch um, by Ian Shaw. It's a nice little Robert Shaw stamp on that moment. I was really touched to experience that in the theater up in Toronto when I saw The Shark is Broken. So 
well done to him. So with that confirmation that we know how the song got to the set of Jaws. So now we know the history of the song in the real world. And, and there's been over 51 recordings. We don't have time to play all 51 recordings. But what I'm going to do is we're going to go play uh, four different versions of this song that were recorded. What I think we can do is we actually can draw a picture of the backgrounds of our three characters, Quint, Hooper, and Brody, because what we're going to do now is the significance of the song within the Jaws universe, that all three of these men from different backgrounds all knew the same song, and they all sing it together as a bonding experience. So let's see what we can do. If we can, if I can, what I did was I went through a lot of different versions of this song. And um, the ones I'm going to play here is what we're going to try to pick apart, and we're actually going to try to see how they um, compare or how they relate to the Jaws universe. Before we start that, let's establish some birth dates, okay? We, we already did this in uh, some other episodes. We did this in episode 24, How Old Is Quint? We established Quint's birth date. We established uh, Brody's age in uh, Jaws Obsession episode 16. And then we established uh, Hooper's age, the two episodes, episode 35 and episode 36. We have been playing around with uh, trying to narrow down when these guys were exactly were born. So we can't go into how we got there because you have to just go back and listen to those episodes. Quint was born in 1916. Brody was born in 1930. And Hooper was born in 1946. So what we have is in Jaws, Jaws takes place in 1974, the summer of 1974. That's it. We're, now we're inside the Jaws universe. So what we have is we have Quint, who's about to turn 58 years old. We have Brody, who is 44 years old. And we have Hooper, who is a 28, who is 28 years old on the Orca in the summer of 1974. Okay, write this. This is early July, 1974. We have to look at those different ages and how they how each of these men would have been introduced to the songs to the to these different versions of show me the way to go home as it filtered throughout the uh, the recording universe as it filtered into their lives over the many years that it was recorded so let's go to the first one the first one was in 1925 that's the original recording the new prince's toronto band show me the way to go home now remember, this thing sold, this piece of music sold 2 million times back then. So there was a number of recordings by different artists from between 1925 and 1930. But I'm going to go with the 1925 version. We have Quint was born in 1916, so this is going to make him nine years old. He's grown up in the New Bedford area, in New Bedford, Mass., and there still is a whaling industry going on, and there's a massive fishing industry going on as well. He would have heard his dad and other dads and others, or his dad and other sailors singing this song, either coming home from the pub or coming home from the local uh, dive bar, the the um, the local fisherman's wharf, and this would have been the version that was maybe possibly played on the radios around that time. So let's let's listen to a little bit of the 1925 version by the New Princess Toronto band. Show me the way to go home. Show me the way to go home. 
I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gone right through my head. No matter where I go, I'm a land of sea or home. You'll always hear me singing this song, show me the way to go home. And that was the 1925 original recording of Show Me the Way to Go Home. So, um, and what we're going to do is on our show notes over at Jaws OB at our Telegram page, I'm going to put all these uh, different videos. I'm pulling a lot of these off, off of YouTube. One I'm going to pull off of Spotify, but I'm going to put links up there. So if you want to hear these full tracks, you can listen to them there. Um, there's a couple of the next few ones. I'm going to play the full track just because it's going to be a little tough to get past the censors on YouTube. But for the audio broadcast that we're doing here, I think we'll be all, we'll, we'll be all set because I want everyone to uh, listen to these full versions to hear what I'm the, the points I'm going to try to make. So that was the original recording. Now, if you think about that, Quint would have been nine years old when he heard that. And that's what his father would have been singing. That was released when he was nine. We're going to fast forward all the way to 1958. So this, uh, so the song was recorded uh, multiple times, had a little bit of lull in the 40s. It was recorded once in 1940, but then it started picking back up in the 50s. And the one from 1958 that I'm going to drill, drill, drill down on here is by the, uh, by the Andrew sisters. Uh, the Andrew sisters, Patty, Laverne, and Maxine, uh, they recorded a version that I believe is what Hooper is referencing here in this scene, as well as Brody picks up on that. And we're going to get to that here. So let's let's listen to the 1958 version first, and then let's see if we can dive into the Andrew sisters version of Show Me the Way to Go Home and see the references that Hooper's making to this track. When I'm happy, when I'm happy. Singing all the while I don't need nobody then to show me how to smile When I've been out on the spree Toddling down the street With this little melody Everyone I greet Show me the way to go Shout! 
and that was the Andrews Sisters from 1958. So uh, if you can hear, there's a there's a gentleman singing in the back, and he, Robert Shaw son, sounds a lot like that man singing in the background of that track uh, when he's singing it as Quint at the table in the Orca. But what uh, what I found that really interesting. So that was in 1958. So Quint would have been, uh, let's see here, Quint would have been 42 years old and he would have been already on Amity when that song was released and that was playing on the radio. Now, what's interesting is that if you listen to that track, you hear that boom, boom, boom. That would be a a 12-year-old Matt Hooper. Remember, Matt Hooper was 12 years old when he got his uh, boat from his father. His father got him a boat, as he says in the dinner table scene. When I was 12 years old, my father got me this boat, and I went fishing off of Cape Cod. That his father got him a boat when he was 12 years old, so um, he would have been 12 when this song came out. I do believe, and we're going to get that in a little bit, but um, that that Matt Hooper, when when he does that boom, 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 he's actually doing the bass track to the Andrew Sisters recording. The, the, the Andrew Sisters recording, which you can hear, you can hear that bass being played in the back there. It's doing exactly what he's doing. And what's interesting is, let, let's let's play that part of the Jaws, the Jaws sequence. So what's interesting there is Martin Brody looks over at Matt Hooper when when Hooper, and he's. He does the second boom, boom, boom. So Martin Brody's almost looking at Matt Hooper going, I remember that. Yeah, that's how that goes, which is really interesting because uh, Brody would have been 28 and he would already have been a police officer in New York City in 1958 when this uh, was released on the radio. So Matt Hooper was 12, uh, Brody was 28. And um, and Hooper and and Quint was 42. So uh, all different. They were in different areas of their lives, but they all heard this recording. What what now is interesting is that if you hear Matt Hooper is doing a little bit, but Brody does that little drum roll with his hands. That ba 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 ba, right? So when Brody does that, he's doing the re, he he's actually remembering this track from 1964 from a band called the Blue Diamonds. Um, this was show, their version of Show Me the Way to Go Home. Now, everybody listen to the drum rolls in this. We're going to just play a little bit of this one. So this would be the 1964 version of uh, of Show Me the Way to Go Home by the Blue Diamonds. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right through my Show me the way to go Show me the way to go I'm tired and I want to go to bed I had a little drink about an hour ago And it's gone right through my head No matter where I roam On land or sea or home You can always hear me singing a song Show me the way to go. 
And that was the 1964 version of Show Me the Way to Go Home by the Blue Diamonds. If you listen to that little drum roll right there, that's what Brody and Hooper are doing. So Brody starts, uh, Hooper start, starts doing that a little bit, but Brody does that at the perfect time. Show me the way to go And you can hear that in that second uh, verse of the song that I just played, which, which is really the third verse. I just clipped that down. But I'm going to put a link to the full song on our show notes. But very interesting what's going on because um, that version, the 1964 version, Chief uh, Brody would have been 34 years old, and he would have been in his New York City squad car at the time, possibly a detective, listening to the radio. And um, so that would have been 10 years before this, uh, they're on the boat in the Orca. So Chief has a, um, how should I say, a different memory of the song, Hooper's different memory of the song. And of course, Quint is coming with the classic version of the song, but he probably knows all the different versions because Quint has been listening to the radio this whole time. Uh, recording of the song was in 1968. And this is going to lead me to, um, it's, it sounds nothing like what is, uh, uh, it, it sounds completely different. Uh, so Julie London recorded this song, Show Me the Way to Go Home, in 1968. Now, Hooper would have been 22 years old. He would have been in school as a marine biologist, um, studying to be a marine biologist. So this is 1974. So this was about six years prior to them being on the Orca. This is what Hooper would have heard uh, during his uh, college years. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago, and it's gone straight to my head. And that was Julie London's version of Show Me the Way to Go Home from 1968. So this this track, this song was actually a a part of society for many, many years for these three characters in Jaws. Now, what I do believe is, uh, I was sitting there playing with this in my head and I was trying to think, okay, now why would Hooper, why would Hooper bring this up? Why would he use this song to break the ice after Quint's shocking story of the USS Indianapolis. And what I do believe is that I think Hooper, his father had something to do in the Navy. And I think Hooper was remembering his father singing this song as well. He, at the time we we discussed in episodes 35 and 36, that father and son dynamic that's going on between Quint and Hooper because of the little information that we would drop in about Hooper losing his father at 16 years old. And then he's trying to, um, he's trying to gain the respect of Quint in a father son dynamic way. And, and how did I get around to this, uh, this theory that Hooper is remembering his dad singing this song. And so he starts singing it because at that point he's, very, um, he, he's got the most respect for a Quint at this moment because of, he knew exactly what the USS Indianapolis tragedy was where Martin did not remember. It was not commonly known at the time 
uh, the USS Indianapolis was only that what happened was only declassified shortly before that. I want to say it was the late 60s. I'd have to get a better answer for you on that. But it, it was not common knowledge in society at this time. In fact, in 1974, a lot of people were shocked to hear about this. So uh, when Brody asked, what, what's the scar about what happened in the USS Indianapolis? But Hooper already knows because he says you were on the Indianapolis. So Hooper has the most respect for Quint. And I think that Hooper is also thinking about his father after the end of that story and about the loss of his father. So he starts singing, show me the way to go home, because it really has never left society at that time, the song. But also I was searching around and what I stumbled on is um, while going through a numerous tracks in, in YouTube, one of the greatest pieces of uh, investigative kind of uh, in finding details about something is you go to YouTube and just go right to the comments. If you scroll through the endless pages of comments, you sometimes can find a theme or you can find really great bits of information. But what I was seeing in all these different, tr in all these different videos of show me the way to go home. So I'm just going to read these comments without any names, but I think we're all going to see the common theme that's going on here. And it's going to lead us into getting inside Hooper's mind. I remember when my granddad used to sing this out of tune, of course, to make me feel better when I was sad, often find myself humming it. Another comment. My grandpa was a singer. He sang this song every weekend when it was time for mom and dad to take me home. By then I would scream and fight what I wouldn't give to hear it in his voice one more time. Thanks for sharing this. I'm a kid from the 1940s and I remember the song of the Andrews sisters, Happy Memories. Wow, my mom and dad, born in 1926, used to sing this song all the time when I was a little kid. What a blast from the past. The elderly man I used to care for would sing this song every night before I walked him to bed. Sadly, he's passed away, but I listen to this song sometimes and it takes me back to those nights. My grandmother sang this song all throughout my childhood. She just passed away at 100 years old with dementia, but still able to remember the words and sing along such fond memories. Such fond memories I'll keep with me forever. And, uh, and one of the last comments I, uh, that I have here is um, this person said, I once used to take care of a World War II veteran, and every single time I saw him, he would want to sing this song with me. I loved it every time. Rest in peace, good sir. May you rest forever in the most welcome peace, and may you also be remembered for your selfless service. This song was very popular with the World War II generation, of which we know Quint was, but we, I also believe that Hooper's father was as well. This song reminds him of his father, and, uh, and, and that's when he heard this tragic tale of World War II, vet, the, of what happened in uh, these men at the, at the end of World War II, that's why he brings this song up. That's why he chooses Show Me the Way to Go Home to break the ice after Quint tells this story. These details are very important in establishing what exactly is going on inside the orca between these three men. And I learned a lot from just doing this investigation into multiple versions of Show Me the Way to Go Home and how we were able to reach these conclusions. So I just think that's fascinating. This movie, just it just keeps teaching me lessons. It keeps teaching me lessons, but I just, I, I, my respect for this film just keeps growing with every episode I do of the Jaws Obsession and just understanding what's going on inside the characters. And by doing this investigation and sharing it with you, hopefully that you also will uh, appreciate this scene just uh, that much more, just like I do. So thanks for listening to that.
So on the back half of this episode 46, we're going to have a Jaws fan spotlight, another Jaws super fan spotlight. We haven't had one in a while, but this one is going to come with a surprise trivia giveaway. For that, I would like to welcome to the show Noel Constantino from Massachusetts. Noel, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing all right. Listen, it's it's because of fans like yourself. It's always great to feature Jaws fans on the show and highlight the many skills that Jaws fans around the world possess. This is what the Jaws of session was to bring the community together to discuss Jaws more in depth, but also to highlight all the skills that everyone has that are fans of Jaws. And I want to thank you very much for what you're doing today, because this is a very special treat for everyone out there listening. Could you please tell us your earliest memory of Jaws and how it came to be such an important role in your life? Sure. So my, my earliest memory of Jaws was watching... I child of the 80s, uh, so born in 75. So for me, you know, seeing a movie, either you had to go to the theater to see it or you watched it, you saw it on a repeat on TV. VHS tape, rental store. Kids probably don't even know what a a movie (laughs) rental store is anymore. But (laughs) I would go up to my grandparents up in uh, New Hampshire, which was, I grew up in Boston. That was maybe a two-hour trip. And up there, my grandfather had a whole collection of movies, most of which he had taped off of television. Okay. So he, he had a VHS copy of Jaws that he had taped off, you know, ABC or something like that. And he would hand edit out the commercials. It was kind of scratchy. Um, <laughs> but that's where I saw Jaws probably the first 20 plus times. That's, that's the way I saw it as, as a kid growing up. Yeah. And you remember, and you said that was from TV. So you remember some of the outtakes like the Quint music shop scene, right? Yeah. That's what I, it was funny. The first time probably in my 20s buying a copy my first copy of jaws on dvd and wondering where that scene was as i always remember it was just one of the scenes that i for some reason stuck with me i always remembered i thought it was so funny I, I never understood until years later and seeing it as a deleted scene on youtube that that was in fact you know they would they would infill those to do that with movies on television back then just to try to stretch the time out to fit a very specific window and then of course some things that have like i'm sure there's some parts the bloodier scenes that they edited out. Like, well, for instance, so up to that degree, I never saw the scene with Alex Kintner where the blood spurting out because I'm pretty sure that was oh. edited out or some portion of it was edited out. Okay. Um, there were definitely some parts that were not in the television version that was, again, the one that I watched maybe the first time I saw it, I was 10. So right. I didn't see the actual regular version of it until maybe I was in my 20s. No, I didn't know what I was missing. And then conversely, I also didn't know what wasn't originally in the um, the movie release because I was I was born that same year it came out. So that's important because a lot of us have younger memories uh, when we were younger, uh, older memories I should say of Jaws, and then they kind of stay with you for a while. So that my whole thing is the soundtrack that I used to record Jaws on audio cassettes and listen to them on the family <laughs> car trips out to Cape Cod. And so now when I hear the new uh, 6.1 or 5.1 surround sound enhanced, I can't listen to that. I always have to switch to the mono, the old stereo or mono soundtrack that gives me the old sound effects and all the old echoes and everything because that to me is Jaws. So I love how everybody has very unique 
uh, views of Jaws, and it depends on what year you first saw it or what are those earliest memories. It's a very unique movie that way. I understand you are a woodworker, you're a residential carpenter, and you like to make Jaws-inspired props and tributes. How long have you been in the trade, and can you describe some of the projects that you worked on in the past? Sure, yeah. No, I've been in the trades now, well, professionally for 20 years now, and then doing it as my sole means of uh, employment for 18 years as, as, as a self-employed carpenter. I have a few guys work with me. My, my wife's also involved in the business, um, you know, licensed and insured in, in the state of Massachusetts. So full-time career. And uh, mm-hmm. as far as building things, both of my grandfathers, my mother's father, and my dad's father were, were both contractors. My right. dad's father was a first generation Sicilian and he, before he went off to the war, was a, was a carpenter, came back and then uh, made his living in the union as a carpenter his entire life. And then my, my other grandfather was an electrician. So I sort of have that. And I, and actually, I'm fortunate enough, I'm one of the few grandchildren that is in the trades at all to right. have some tools from both of them. So I still oh, use their great. tools. Yeah, at my, at my job, and I have some equipment at home. I actually just got an old uh, 1920s bandsaw up and running oh, wow. um, that my, my grandfather <laughs> had, had left left to me when he before he passed away. So uh, it was pretty, pretty important. And special oh, wonderful. One, yeah, lineage, antique tools and the lineage there. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Um, and so now you use that because you have an Etsy shop called FMC Built. Uh, Noel has written in before to the Jaws Obsession, and we've kind of exchanged emails, and you've had other wood projects that are Jaws-inspired. What were some of the Jaws projects? The first one, I guess, that I did was a was a couple of maybe three years ago now, and it was my, well. So my daughter, who's she's fourteen now, yeah. But I since I don't remember the exact time, but since she was old enough for me to show her jaws, and I was so excited to do that for the first time. Um, I think it was actually down in Nantucket too. We watched it, <laughs> and uh, she just became a huge fan, and so she had asked me to make her. She had seen something online, some kind of a a boat. It was a catfish for her cat. And she okay. wanted some kind of an enclosure to be a boat. I said, okay. So I tried to step it up. And what's my most favorite boat of all time, of course, the orca. So I made an orca-inspired cat bed for uh, my daughter's cat for Christmas, <laughs> like I said, probably think three years ago. And I made it such that the mask comes out so the cat can get in there. The windows are open. And uh-huh. it's I don't know, maybe about three and a half feet long or something. It's a, it's a good it's a good scale. Because uh, actually, I have the quince. I don't know if you've seen these, but they, they had some um, Funko made the uh, called reaction action figures. So they're about the scale of the old G.I. Joe and Star Wars action figures. Okay, so I yeah. have that quint one. So it's actually a little bit too big for that to be in proper scale, but that's where that's where that one sits anyway. We actually keep it out. It's a showpiece in our dining room, which my <laughs> wife's okay with, so it's a, it's a good thing. No, it's great. It's got the little yellow barrels on the front. You even got the, sh- yeah. the shark jaws well, on the front. The yellow barrels actually keep cat treats in them, so that's their <laughs> sort of double function there. But, uh, yeah, we're going to put some photos of the uh, orca cat bed on our show notes. Check out one of Noel's Jaws-inspired projects there. Really cool stuff. And that's what I like to see. I love to see the passion and the excitement of Jaws fans when they get into uh, doing things like this. And because that's pretty much what the Jaws Obsession is. It was a passion-inspired project itself. Before we get to the Jaws Obsession giveaway, you brought in a fascinating Jaws question regarding the riptide in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Let's get into that because there's a lot of people that this is going to lead to in the next episode, we're going to be tackling, we're going to be trying to find an answer to this. So 
Oh, why don't you give me an, uh, a quick overhead of what you were referring to with the riptide? Sure. So I was, uh, firstly, the, the riptide is, you know, so, sort of lovingly referred to as a dive bar, which it most certainly sure. certainly is by, by all accounts. <laughs> so I happened to be working in Marblehead uh, just, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago and coming back, driving home through the center of town. And I'd seen the riptide there before, but suddenly I look up, I'm at the light and the riptide's right ahead at the light. And I'm seeing the, the, the font on the sign. And it's this beautiful sign. It's the letters are kind of in gold. And the R, to me, just looks strikingly like the R. Not, I suppose, exactly, but right. I've never seen a font or anything like that. And right. it looks just like the R on the Orca. And then, of course, the other letters sort of go, go along with what you would imagine. They sort of follow that style. Yes. And uh, I don't know, I guess just getting deep into the Charles obsession, I instantly thought of you. I took a picture of it and then sent it off to you and uh, wanted, was definitely curious to get your opinion. Well, that's what's wonderful about it, because I think you're on to something here, because you also said, and this is a fact, that in Marblehead, Massachusetts, is where the, is where the they, that Universal acquired the boat that would be the Orca. That's right. And that's it hailed from it hailed from Marblehead relative to the riptide as a that was a hangout for local fishermen and certainly would have been back in the 1970s. So right, right. it seemed possible that he could have, Alves could have gone there or some member of his crew could have gone there. I know that Alves was the one who designed and hand cut the original letters. So yep. I, it just seemed to me that this was a, at least a possible connection. Well, listen, it's very, we're going to include your photo in the show notes. And so everybody can go over there and look at this old sign, this old fisherman's hangout in Marblehead, Massachusetts called the Riptide. And just go look at the font on there. It's very possible that Joe Elves, who was the uh, set designer, and he was also, he was the one over there acquiring this boat out of Marblehead, Massachusetts back in 1974. So he would have been there in order to may possibly be influenced by this. So what I did was I immediately took your email and I called up our resident orca specialist, John Tedder, and I have him working on that. And we're going to, we're going to have an episode. I believe it's the next episode. That's going to be all orca talk. We haven't had an orca episode in a while, but one of the things is going to be about the font, the orca font. So hopefully John can dig up some answers, but if he can't, I'm sure he has contacts, which he told me he does. It's possible. We're going to get this question to Joe Alves himself to be answered. So that's, oh, wow. that's wow, real, that would be amazing. Yes. And so that that's straight from you, from your uh, awareness to send us that sign, because it's very possible that he could say, oh yeah, because that's, he did, he did hand cut those letters. So it's, is, is that R, was that one of the inspirations, the riptide in Marblehead, Massachusetts for the R in the Orca lettering? We will find out soon. So I want to thank you for contributing to that. So no, what is it about the Orca that fascinates you even to this day where other more modern boats just don't cut it? You are a, you are a boater. You are uh, experienced in that nautical. You come from the New England area. What is it that the modern boats just don't have that the orca does that fascinates you. Yeah, I, you know, growing up around Boston, I, I literally out the window of my childhood home, I could see the Boston skyline, and we lived in a little right around the corner. I used to play as a kid in a saltwater marsh that led out to Boston Harbor, and then, of course, obviously the Atlantic. My first job was at a boatyard when I was twelve, 
and actually to this day now i store my my work truck and my boat sits right next to it that i'm working on we were talking earlier about um when we were everybody sees jaws in a different way in a different spotlight and some people see things that remind them of their like we were talking about how when we watch jaws it's like a moving photograph from our childhood so we we know you grew up your summers on nantucket i was on i grew up summers on cape cod so when you see jaws you're seeing almost the same images even though you can't quite place it and is it possible that that the orca itself might remind you of some of those early boats that you might have been around that you were with your grandfather or your father that you saw just docked in the bay it definitely does and i, and I think also it keys into the i think that's why quint was my favorite character and then also why quint relative to the orca and then just relative to the people that i remember right. from not only the boatyard i grew up right after that working actually the, the small local lumberyard and just the characters in new england and i mean they're still there yeah. Some of those old salts. I mean, I came up at a time growing up in the in the 80s and that I, I remember seeing some of these people, again, interacting with them at the boatyard, at the public landing in town, at the uh, local lumberyard as well. And I, I think that that's all one in the same piece. You know, the, the, the guy oh, yeah. that owned the boatyard that I worked for that actually took me out on boat. I mean, he had fiberglass boats, but he, he took me sailing. He was the one who taught me how to operate a boat he used to let he used to let me take out his uh it was a small uh dinghy and he'd let me just kind of take out put around a little three horsepower johnson yeah. outboard motor and that's how i kind of got around and then later on from working at the boatyard he helped me to get uh an old thompson uh lap straight boat actually and that was my my first boat it was it was in fact a wood boat yeah i think i just kind of sealed my love for the water and it all just sort of keyed in again the experience of being on a Nantucket, um, having in the back of my head, as much as I love the water, just that healthy respect and fear uh, in a way as well. And of course, Charles informed some of that. Um, right, but I, right. I never looked at I never looked at it as a bad thing. I, I looked at it as just something that, you know, taught me to be respectful of the water and the dangers that are inherent. But then conversely, that's also part of the beauty because it's, it's that other side as well. And the harbor, the Boston Harbor Islands are beautiful if people are familiar with that area but you know it it all of that feel really ties into the orca and again just the character of quint and how much i i mean i really just view it as him being the quintessential new england and, and it could be he could be a carpenter a mason i mean he happens yeah. to be a fisherman and a serious fisherman at that something that really it just makes that movie for, for me i mean every time i watch it and now especially watching it with with my children through a next generation there's something very nostalgic about it that is, is warm and also enjoyable at the same time. To meet some of these characters, you have to be down there on the docks, you know, and, Absolutely. and, and they, no Absolutely. one really, no, and, and the old timers. And it's just like, that stuff's all disappearing on us, Noel. It's it like, really, it really is. And that's something that I have just the character of Quint, you know, that's just old school, tough guy. But then like, that's what I love about when you did that episode about the, um, about him and the relationship with Hooper. Right. And how he sort of started to take a shine or a liking to him. And that, you know, once once you, you had earned these guys' respect, because, I mean, I, again, I, being 46, I, I did grow up on a time when it was like, I, mean, I remember working at the boatyard as a 12, 13 year I worked there for a couple of years. And then yeah. some of the other jobs I've had, and always more or less in some form or another manual labor. And uh, well, you, you, you really had to earn these guys' respect. And that was the way it was if you wanted to sort of come up in that world. And, uh, you know, and, and once you did, 
These guys would take you in, and boy, were they fiercely loyal to you and watched out for you. And so I think that it, it really that that whole thing really that is what I'm talking about as far as like why that Quint character. I mean, obviously from a point of view of being such a you know uh, right. strong character to look up to, but then just understanding that wow, this is, this is a very real. There's, there's nothing fanciful about, about him. He's I mean, such a very real character to me, and I'm obviously to you as well. Right. I'm, I'm sure to John, but it's why I'm so excited about having yet another chapter in with the prequel of the Book of Quint. Um, well, that's a wonderful yeah, answer. No, that's, see, that, right that's a wonderful answer, and I I don't think we, I don't even think I could have come up with a better take than what you just did. That's unbelievable because that's what Quint is. He's he's like a he is a representative of all these characters that we've come across. In my time in sailing in New England when I was in the small boat station, search and rescue station with the Coast Guard on the south shore of Long Island, and, uh, and of course, all your experiences, you come across all these characters. And what I really like about, with the Book of Quint, what I tried to do was I tried to show this other side of Quint that he is a welder. He's a he know he has to know stuff about wiring. He has to know stuff about engines. Like all these guys, they had to know different different they had to have different skills because as you know, life on the water is not just a one thing. You can't just say, I'm a fisherman. When you're out there and you and something goes wrong, you have to be able to be a mechanic, you have to be able to be a, a navigator, all these different things. Correct. Yeah. So that's what's so exciting is that what we're doing here and you being a book of Quint campaign backer. Um, so you know that what we're doing here is we are making this, uh, the, what Quint represents, we are bringing that scope out. So he is actually going to be more real and more in depth than we can ever possibly imagine. And that's, yeah. what's exciting. No, it's, it, it's very, yeah, it's, it's so, it honestly is really so very exciting. And <laughs> I, you know, there's, there's, I know there's a lot of the people that obviously feel that way and are just, uh, really can't wait to get our hands on the book. Oh, it's a, it, yeah, and they're coming. A couple weeks, they're going to be being shipped out. I'm telling you, they're, hey, they'll be worth the wait. I had no, no, yeah, no, no worries. They're they're worth the wait. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited that they're a hard copy. Yeah, that was uh, that was a really being a hardcover was uh, a really nice surprise. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, that's that's the thing. What what, what I was saying was it was uh, everything. It's got to be the respect of the character that we're dealing with here. So when you hold this in your hand. You're gonna go. This is worthy of Quint, right? I mean, we're talking. This right. is yeah. this is a uh, this is a historic, classical character of cinema, right? So you have to have. Right. I I was like insisted that it has to look like that. So I'm excited that with all the backers like yourself that we were all able to come together and make this happen. How did you first hear about the Jaws obsession? What made you take the leap of faith into uh, sponsoring the Book of Quint? Yeah, I found the podcast by happenstance on a, a Spotify. Um, I was uh, just with with my work and we were working outside with a big project over the summer. Right. And yeah, I, I, I'll put the earbuds in, just kind of listen, and I'll listen to multiple podcasts on a day. Found this one, and I, I was, I think I was hooked. From the first, I got on about maybe episode 10 or something, but just the opening music that you have was, I, right. I mean, that was it for me. And then I went back and listened to the others, listened ahead. And then, I mean, I've listened to them all multiple times over yeah. at this point. It just, I, I, it's so enjoyable, so much fun. Yeah. And I, it, it was not, a, it was no question as the, as soon as I heard about the book campaign and all that, I mean, I was, I, I had my wife, my wife does all the sort of administrative work with the business, but then in my personal life as well. So I had her, I gave her all the information. She did it. And, uh, that's I mean, great. Super excited. So what you did was you have at Etsy.com, you have F FMC built, 
Um, we're going to have the link in the description of this broadcast on whatever platform everyone's listening on. Just go right down below. You can click on that link and you can go over to Noel's Etsy shop. What he has there is he is using his woodworking skills as his carpentry skills and what he is making a salvage section of Quint's trusty fishing vessel, the Orca, after it was sunk by the shark. So what it actually is, is a piece of upcycled mahogany planking that came off a wooden fishing boat. And uh, the size and the font of the registration numbers, it was uh, all been carefully made to look like the original Orca as much as possible. So these signs are made to order. And Noel only has a limited amount of stock. But what he has done was he has said that he is going to give one away. So if everybody goes to either our show notes, you can see photos of it, or if you go to his Etsy shop over at fmcbuiltetsy.com, you can see one of these signs. He's going to give one away to the first person to email here at the Jaws Obsession the answer to this trivia question that we're going to put out there. Way cool. First of all, this is a great piece of wall art. And uh, I'd like to thank you for doing this because I really love how it, lo it looks like a diver ripped it off of the hull from underwater. I, that's so creative. And I want to thank you for, do for doing this, Noel. It's really yeah, cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the look I was going for. It just, it, it struck me um, while my son and I were working on this boat. And it's a, it's a boat, it's a 68 uh, Seikonet 26, which was based on an Eldridge McInnes design. Guinness was a famous naval architect in Boston area, and this okay. boat was commissioned then that design. So it really, I thought, to me, what was so perfect about it was that it was literally contemporary with what the Orca would have been, uh, the original boat as well as, you know, the production boat and everything during the 70s. Yep. And the, the color was right. The sizing was right. It was, you know, it's old mahogany planking. And so I just thought it had that. How cool is that? Perfect look. And I'm going to have, I'm going to probably be able to produce anywhere in the neighborhood of about 20 of them, I, I believe, based on, based on the amount that I have to do. Um, so, yeah, it was. And, and, and honestly, the, the, the podcast uh, gave me the idea. And then, of course, finding, I think around the same time, I'm not sure. I might have even stumbled upon uh, John Tedder's Orca Rebuild. I believe that I did okay. um, prior to even finding the podcast. And then when I ever found out you two were linked, it, it was it was this epiphany. And so, because I've wanted to do some other things for a long time, and th this is my first product in the Etsy shop. I actually have another one I'm working on now. Okay. And I hope to release in another week for you know hopefully the holiday season. Just short run of stuff. I'm just you know one guy doing this on the side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you guys really truly inspired me to kind of go and push ahead. You know, busy life, family, work, and all that, self-employed, but um, to kind of put these things out there and, and build them. Uh, and it's, it's been, it's been so much fun. And of course you having me on the podcast and doing this is, is, is great. So, uh, well, I uh, hope everybody, yeah, everybody it. listen that I'm glad that that's, that's so great that we, everybody, cause this is what you're doing is inspiring me. So this is great. If you have a jaws wall at home, or if anyone out there is a jaws collector, these are one off. This is, these are, I'm telling you, he only has enough stock for a limited amount, but this is antique wood from an antique fishing boat made to look like the Orca's Hall. It's pretty cool. I'm going to have to get one on my Jaws wall next to the posters. <laughs> so let's get into this trivia question. Everybody, Noel's going to ask the trivia question, and then the first person to email at jawsob2025 at gmail.com. With the correct answer, I'm going to uh, let you know that you're the winner, and then you sent me your information. I will forward it over to Noel, 
and then you will get one of these pieces of Orca Hull, which is really cool. So go ahead, Noel. What's the trivia question? So the trivia question is, what was the name, the original name of the Orca that Joe Alves purchased from the fishermen in Marblehead, Massachusetts? There you go, folks. What was the original name of the boat that was used to become the Orca? Now, everybody who's been an avid Jaws Obsession listener, you should know already. I'm not going to tell you what episodes, but it has been stated before. So maybe if you do a little hunting, do a little digging, you can find that. So first person to email in and uh, you'll win the prize. So that's this is cool. I love doing I love doing giveaways. We just did our other giveaway with the uh, John Tedder's Jaws Care Package. So now here we are with Noel and courtesy of FMCBuilt at Etsy.com. Follow the links in the description and everyone can go over there and you can also order your own section of, uh, of the Orca Hall with the uh, registration numbers. Carefully figured to capture the look of the original Orca as much as possible. So, Noel, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is wonderful. I appreciate you sponsoring the Book of Quint, but also being an avid listener and not and also contributing, bringing this detail of the Riptide, which we, which we are going to answer in the next episode. Thank you so much for having me, firstly, and for what you're doing with the Book of Quint. And uh, it, this has just been so, so much fun. Uh, and then also, too, I'm so super curious to find out whether or not I'm uh, going crazy or whether or not that, that R, in fact, did influence Joe Alves. So I, I'm really excited to hear that John's on the case there. Yes. And uh, I can't wait to can't wait to hear that episode. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll get the answer up in the next episode. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks again. And, and let's stay in touch. Let's stay in touch. And uh, oh, of course, we're going to stay in touch. I'm going to let you know who wins the contest. Absolutely. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you so much. You got it. Talk to you later. Special thanks to Noel Constantino of FMC Built at SC.com for doing the great giveaway. For anyone that emails in to JawsOB2025 at gmail.com, the first email to give the correct answer to what is the name of the vessel that was used to make the Orca. The original name of the vessel acquired by Joe Alves for the making of Jaws. If you can email that in, you win the prize. And you'll have a nice piece of Jaws decoration for your wall. Thanks again, Noel Constantino. What a great interview. Great times. What We learned a lot on this episode. I I'm, always love episodes like this when I can learn more about Jaws. And I'd like to thank you all for listening and being along for the ride here. The movie Jaws is copyrighted property of Universal Studios. Any references and sampling from the movie Jaws in this episode is intended to fall within Section 107 of the Copyrighted Act. Copyrighted materials are fairly used for the purposes of criticism, comment, reporting, teaching, and research. The materials used here are protected by the Fair Use Guidelines of Section 107 of the Copyrighted Act, all rights reserved to the copyright owners. Thanks again for everyone making this a top 5% in global rankings of all podcasts worldwide. We have listeners all over the world. 47 countries and counting. Very exciting. It couldn't have been possible without you coming back every week to hear more about Jaws and learn about what makes Jaws the greatest movie of all time. And with that, thank you for listening. Until next week, 
Farewell and adieu and show me the way to go home.